We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv an unmatched dual threat. Blue wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. On today's show, we're going to break down our key takeaways from the Giants' 150-minute full pad scrimmage. This was an intense day of football from what I've seen via what the Giants have released video-wise online. I mean, there was a play where one of the D-backs, and we'll get this, made an interception, was returning it, and an offensive lineman stripped the ball from him on a tackle. I mean, this is the type of energy these guys brought to this practice. Joe Judge bringing out really energetic group of Giants players. They're playing hard through the whistle on every snap like this was a game. Joe Judge said this was basically a scrimmage like they would have leading up to a preseason game, almost replacing what the Giants are missing without a preseason this year. 
I like it. Luckily, no injuries came from this. I mean, you're risking that when you're having an 150-minute full pad scrimmage, full scrimmage. But a lot of interesting notes and key takeaways from this scrimmage. We're going to dive into these kind of one by one, just talking it over me and Nick. Um, we're not going to do this any kind of order. It's not going to be chronological based on the plays which happened in practice. It's not going to be based on the positions or the players, the offense, even just things that stood out to us. And again, remember, uh, kudos to those beat writers on the beat and of course giants.com writers who really provided a ton of information on this practice again neither me and nick have been able to get out there to the practices we wish we could but we haven't maybe that's something for us down the line who knows this is a really weird year with covid so i'm not counting on it i'm not banking on it but i still feel like it's good for us to dive into this a little bit more specifically a little bit more in depth and kind of uh, you know, move forward with what can happen. So I'll start us off, Nick. I mean, that stood out to me. During the team periods of this practice with the first team offense, Darius Slayton drew the most love from Daniel Jones. Slayton had the most targets. He was he led the led the practice, the scrimmage, with five targets, which was the most from Jones. Um, to me, this is no surprise. As you know, Nick, in my bold predictions a couple weeks ago, I said I think Darius Slayton will amaze Darius Slayton, I should say, will emerge as a clear-cut number one for Jones. I think he's the best fit for Garrett's system. I think he has the best rapport with Jones. To me, it's a no-brainer. I think the other guys will get love. Don't think this is going to be a DeAndre Hopkins 180 target type situation in that. The same could be said about the Eli OBJ days, by the way. OBJ never had it as good as Lava with Eli, in my opinion. The guy was getting 165, 170 targets a year. Uh, but I do think Slayton will emerge as the number one. I think this was a good sign of that thing starting to develop a bit it's a uh, hard to dispute the one thing i would like to say about that is what's cory ballantyne covering him on those plays that's something that we would need to know if we had our uh boots on the deck down there but we do not because maybe daniel jones is just targeting the liability of that second boundary corner slot and that's why Darius Slayton was targeted so much, but I'm not going to take anything away from the kid's skill set. I really like Darius Slayton. I think he's an excellent value in fantasy drafts. I think he could be primed for a breakout season. He could be primed for more targets in Jason Garrett's system. So everything you say is very plausible, and it leads to possibly Slayton having that true breakout year with Tate and Shepard both kind of being the short to intermediate targets that they are, and they'll be utilized in that kind of fashion. Yeah, and we know, I mean, I still, again, I still think that Sterling Shepard's the best receiver on this roster at this time. I think he's by far and away the best route runner and he creates separation better than any receiver on this roster by far to me i mean tate may be close not close but tate's a second but slayton's not creating separation like that but slayton's explosiveness and his just ability to to be a different kind of receiver that sort of seems to fit better for this offense and sort of seems to have a better rapport with jones someone jones consistently trusts enough to look to again most of all his receivers that are practice that stands out to me it's something i find interesting it's something i think is big hard to dispute what he did against man coverage last year too every time he was lined up one-on-one because defenses weren't necessarily tracking on how good darius slayton was so they would trust you know their second corner one-on-one against slayton and jones would oblige and throw that ball high point the ball darius slayton did was really good in contested catch situations and if he could just build upon that he still has tyke tolbert as his wide receiver coach and it seemed like they had a really good rapport with each other as well so now obviously you have a totally different offense coming in but it's more conducive towards his success at least that's what you and i feel so let's let's hope that they can build upon that and let's hope they can build upon last year's success no doubt nick no doubt all right give us another key takeaway something that stood out to you from today's drive all right so we had uh jabril peppers okay jabril peppers and darnay holmes were really active around the football as well peppers with the red zone uh 
pass breakup on Golden Tate's attempted touchdown from Daniel Jones. And Holmes also had another interception of Daniel Jones. He's kind of just... Uh, catching a lot of the beat reporters' eyes, and he's coming up with these turnovers. Let's hope that Darnay Holmes can uh, be able to do that when it comes game day, but it seems like he's really competing, and I, I pay attention to his Twitter, and I'm sure you do too. He's very, very active and vocal, vocal on Twitter about how he feels he's an underdog, and a lot of people have written him off and how he's kind of persevering and showing a lot of resilience, so it seems like he really busted his ass throughout this COVID lockdown, and it's really showing up early on in camp. Yeah, I mean, none of that surprises me. Again, if you read his Players' Tribune article, this is a guy who has been through a lot in his life with his dad and with his family and has really understands he's the type of guy they want in this locker room. He's the type of guy, when they talk culture, Darnay Holmes comes to the forefront. This is somebody who's going to work hard, somebody who doesn't at all surprise me showed up to this training camp situation in excellent shape. And in addition to that, he was the obviously the player we referenced earlier. If you watch, there's video that the Giants released uh, on their Twitter account of this interception he made. Stride for stride, he's running down on a go route with Golden Tate. Beats him to the point, makes the play. Not only beats him to the point, but actually then secures the catch for this diving interception. This was an acrobatic interception. I got to tell you, Nick, this thing was extremely inter- impressive. Gets up, runs it back, and then Andrew Thomas, who just doesn't give up on the play, comes over, strips the football after practice. Joe Judge had some really, really nice things to say of Darnay Holmes. He said he's a real competitive guy that comes to work every day with a full head of steam. He's very attentive. I'm not surprised to see him improve day by day. I was pleased with the way he played today. I'm sure there are things he has to clean up. I have a couple things on the top of my head right now. I do with every player on the team. But I was pleased with the way he came out and competed. But then he also said, uh, you know, he's going to get, he's going to take some heat for not securing that football on the interception return and for fumbling it. On to the football, Darnay. Hold on to it, please. Another interesting tidbit about Holmes, too, was he lined up in the slot for the majority of the day. And that, I mean, he's guarding Golden Tate. It kind of throws a little bit of water on him as a boundary receiver, I'm sure, or boundary cornerback. I'm sure they'll still try him out there, but as Dan and I kind of think, with the short arms, he's probably going to be relegated to a slot role. But on that pass, man, I mean, I saw like the little clip. It's hard to see the beginning of the route. Right. It is. It seemed like it might have been some sort of like uh, slot, slot wheel route, route yeah. or something like that. But it seemed like it was an ill-advised throw from Daniel Jones because it seemed like Darnay Holmes had a lot of inside leverage on that play, and maybe Jones was trying to put it over the top, on the, over the outside shoulder of Golden Tate, but it just was not there for him. And you got to give kudos to the kid, and I would love seeing it from the young corner. And I don't want to get too nitpicky with Jones right now, based on practice video that I, you know we can barely see, but yes. we can see. I got to be honest with you, Nick. I, I thought he was drifting a little in the pocket there. I didn't love the. I, I watch his footwork on the play. I don't love it, and I see him release that football. I didn't think that was a good throw. Obviously, you said it best. Holmes had inside leverage. Holmes really has excellent speed. Like Holmes, to me, is just... I'm really excited about him as a prospect, Nick. I was excited about him after the draft. I've been excited about him through this entire process, and I think they got incredible value on Darnay. Holmes is going to make an impact right away, but... I will say this, I agree with you, Jones, who had a bit of a shaky day, we'll get into it in a bit, he started off really slow, end of the day with two touchdown throws and an interception, really came on in the last final drive, finally with an 11-play, I believe 70-yard drive with a touchdown to cap it off, came on late in practice, but you know, he's obviously, I think there's going to be a learning curve for him moving to this offense, it's completely different terminology, it's a completely different system, um, but I do want to also give a little bit of love while we're talking, before we move on, while we're talking the theme of the day, which was a bounce back day, I think, from these defensive backs. Another defensive back who had a really good pass breakup was James Bradbury. He was beat by Sterling Shepard on a on a red zone fade from Jones. 
Great ball on this one by Jones, by the way. I think Jones, again, we talked about this last podcast, Nick, but Jones's ability to throw with excellent ball placement in the red zone is a plus trait for him that not every quarterback, not every young quarterback has something to track. That's why he had 24 passing touchdowns last year in only 12 games and nearly broke the rookie passing touchdown record was due to his excellent ball placement in the red zone. But on this play, James Bradbury showed recovery speed and then made an excellent play on the ball. Jones put the ball right in Shepard's hands, but Bradbury was there to bat it down. It was an excellent day for the young defensive backs. We'll get into a couple other interesting sleepers emerging at the boundary position in a few, but I just wanted to point out, bounce back day for those guys. And that's what you want to hear too. You want to see these new players come into this environment and kind of prove, especially with this cornerback position because they've been such a <laughs> unlucky position really with everything going on with DeAndre Baker and then the Sam Beal opt-out. But another interesting thing to go back to the offensive line, you touched on a little bit with Andrew Thomas, but Nick Gates and is drawing a lot of buzz right now. He said he's working at center with the first team and it seems like more of a, I don't want to say a certainty, but it seems like it's highly likely that he's going to be the starting center. That could be the possibility, and Spencer Pulley might be the backup there, and that's going to be an interesting uh, thing if that materializes. I'm not ready to say highly likely a starting center, even though I think if you put a gun to my head right now, I would say he is going to be the starting center. I would say it's still up in the air, just because it's really been interesting tracking this practice. I mean, one of Jones's touchdown passes was to David Sills, who, by the way, is having an excellent camp and was is really a big-time sleeper because he was an excellent player at West Virginia with, with uh, Will Greer. Another thing about David Sills, he legit has a realistic shot at making this roster, too, because he was a really Especially. good gunner, yeah. and now Cody Core's not there. So that's something, a very interesting thing for Sills. If he keeps stepping up like this, he could find himself on the 53. Yeah, not to get too deep on Sills at the moment, but that's a great point because that's something Judge even referenced after practice. Sills, again, Judge doesn't talk about a lot of players, but he did talk about David Sills, and he mentioned him on the special teams, and he mentioned that, and that's key because, remember, Cody Core, who is going to be a bigger loss than we expect, especially on a team that really wants to prioritize its special teams, they're going to need someone like that to replace him, and I think Sills could be the guy, and again, caught the touch on Bassman Jones, but the point I was trying to make with that was to say there's been a lot of rotating rotations going on. Like there's guys like Sills getting first team reps. Joe Judge is really sticking true. Besides obviously the the obvious one, like Joe like Jones is gonna work the first team offense. Barkley's gonna work the first team offense for the most part. There's obvious ones out there. Andrew Thomas, I think, at this point, is gonna work mostly first team offense. But a lot of guys are getting a lot of reps and it's really interesting to see. It's probably also somewhat of a byproduct of COVID-19. There's just less reps in this offseason, and he really wants to give everybody an opportunity to prove themselves, especially at the wide receiver position. Yeah, again, this is the Joe Judge style. There's going to be guys who are going to get a chance to compete. There's no preseason, but he's giving them an opportunity to make their, you know, make their way in training camp with these full team 150-minute scrimmages that are really game-like situations. Um, But yeah, like you said, very interesting at the very least to see Gates already working with the first-team offense at center. You know they want him there. You know they see the upside there based on his size and fit for this power gap scheme versus a guy like Spencer Pulley, who again was, I guess, a decent fit in Pat Shermer's inside zone heavy scheme, but really just not a fit anywhere in my Nick minds. Uh, not someone who should be starting center for any of the 32 teams. So again, the upside play is Gates. We hope he's going to get ready by the start of week one. It's still, in my opinion, a tall task to ask, but I'm glad they're at least making it possible by giving him these early first team reps. Because if they had tried to work Gates in later in camp or really giving him only a few reps with the ones, blah, 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 you know, defaulted to pulley, 
it would have been so much harder for him to make that transition. He's got to get ready by week one. He's got to work with Jones. He's got to be ready to, you know, get the calls in for week one, get the audibles and the checks down. All of the mental side of things is really what worries me more with Gates. I mean, we still have our concerns with his play strength. And that's something that me and Nick have talked about. Nick specifically, who studied him, does feel. And I feel he's better tackled than a center. But again, it's really the question right now is not if he's a better tackler center, especially with some of the play we've seen at tackle, which has been above average and better than expectations, we <laughs> which we're not used to. The, the decision is more so, is he going to give them a better chance to win? Or the Giants, the Giants have a better chance to win with Nick Gates at center or Spencer Pulley at center? And that is becoming more and more clear that it's probably Gates. I mean, it doesn't get much lower for me than Spencer Pulley at center. Um, I just, I, I'm not into it, especially not in this system as we move forward. But definitely something interesting to keep an eye on. I wanted to touch on one more thing with Jones that I thought was interesting. Obviously, he had a bit of an up and down day. I think he finished like 17 of 24, two TDs and an interception. Um, and again, remember in, in these scrimmages, it's 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 not it's not like a real game where the pa- it's the pass rush. It's not it's not the same. It's not pressure packed. The pocket's not the same. But again, what I did like was he started slow and then had a really strong finish. And everyone who was on the beat and everyone who was there, he said said he had excellent command of the huddle. He's really emerging as this true leader quarterback, a guy who has his teammates. They have his back. He has command of the huddle, and they listen to him, and they're looking up to him there. So definitely something interesting on that front. 100%. I mean, that's what you want to see from your second-year quarterback. You want to see them take command of the huddle. I mean, it's a young team, but this young team's looking for a leader right now. We, as Giants fans, have been kind of spoiled with having Eli Manning in that position for so long, two Super Bowls, and now we have Daniel Jones, a lot of turnover. You know, a lot of people outside of the Giants organization are kind of frowning upon what Joe Judge is doing with the kind of the hard-nosed practice styles that he's implementing. So hopefully this team can really band together and pull some wins. But, um, on the defensive back front, I saw that um, a lot of practice reports were going on about Julian Love, Xavier McKinney, and Jabril Peppers being used in the three-safety look that we were talking about and how all three of them are being used within the box, which is something that does not surprise either of us. I mean, we watched a lot of the film last year. Jabril Peppers and Julian Love were really, really good in the box. And then watching just Alabama film and seeing how Xavier McKinney was used in such a diverse role and Nick Saban trusted him in so many ways and you know, when it comes to his mental processing and his ability to do so many different things it's no wonder that you see McKinney in the box you see him deep you see love in the box you see him deep and you see them doing a diverse amount of stuff so I'm really excited to see what this third down defense is going to look like yeah there's no doubt about it Nick and it's really interesting we I think we can put to bed our you know not theory, but our the possibility we thought of Love maybe transitioning back to boundary. It seems like it's now clear. He's working exclusively with these safeties. And the interesting thing to me, though, is this. Listen, we talked about, in theory, a three-safety look from this defense makes a lot of sense. But there doesn't really seem to be a reason to me why it can't happen early and often. Because again, remember, 75% of these snaps are going to be a nickel, basically. Most teams are using 11 personnel with three receivers on the field. Even if they're not, the second tight end they have on the field is basically a big slot. And all three of these guys can play all three roles. They can play the deep half safety if they need to. Do I want, do I trust McKinney in that position the best? Sure. But you can also put Love there. He showed it in the Bears game last year and at various times. And you could probably put Peppers there too. But not only that, 
all three of these safeties can play in the box as an essential linebacker. So again, you're, you can mix and match your 3-4-4-3 looks instead with these big nickel looks where you basically have another a linebacker that's kind of not a linebacker, but he kind of is because all three can play in the box. And then all three can also match up in the slot. So now you have a situation where really, to me, there's no real reason to take them off the field very often. I think their main look, and again, main, it's not going to be first down when a team's fucking, um, excuse my language, and team's firing out their heavy personnel. I don't even know why I used that. It was a completely unnecessary F-bomb. I apologize. But when the team's firing out their big, heavy personnel looks, obviously then you're not nickel, but you know, most downs are in nickel these days. Let's just face it. It's the reality of the NFL. It is, when we say it's essentially the base defense, what we mean is it's the defense that they're going to use for the most snaps. And I think that the way it's going, I mean, Love was on the field, according to these beat guys, a lot today. He was on the field for most of these first team reps. And McKinney had his day off. I get it. And we'll talk about that too. I thought it was interesting that Judge gave a couple of these guys a day off, especially the ones he chose. And he basically said it's because they've gotten a lot of work and they work in their butt offs. Um, one of those guys was Ryan Connolly. So that's really interesting. Guy coming off an ACL. That's great to hear. But again, even if McKinney's there, I see a lot of snaps this season. We're going to get all three on the field. And those to me are three of their best of players. At the, those are three of their best secondary players right now. McKinney and, and Peppers lock those in. I consider those easily. I don't care that McKinney's a rookie. I've seen, you know, I've seen Corey Ballantyne play, the six-rounder Corey Ballantyne play a lot. And I know Jaron Williams, we're going to talk about, came on strong and is making a nice name for himself. Come on. This is an undrafted guy. I mean, McKinney is the real deal. And then as far as love goes, we love what we saw last year from there as he made that transition. So, yeah, I'm really excited by that. And there's also a little bit of Montre Hardage uh, hype coming in, too. A lot of Montre Hardage Again, Montre Hardage was picked up. Uh, late last year by the Miami Dolphins. Again, Patrick Graham was the defensive coordinator there, and he comes over to the Giants. Graham brings him over, and it didn't look like he was going to have, it looked like he was going to have a really uphill climb to make this roster, and then all the stuff happened to the Giants secondary. Now it looks like it could be, you know, he has a realistic possibility to crack the 53-man roster, especially if he has value on special teams, and he's hitting some balls down. He's active uh, when it comes to pass breakups and things like that, so that's really good to get his name generating, especially when a lot of these secondary pieces today and yesterday yesterday kind of stepped up a little bit more and uh, kind of showed the offense, hey, we're not total slouches, which is definitely everything that New York Giants fans want to hear right now because it's not uh, necessarily pretty when you look at the depth chart. Yeah, I mean, it's not pretty, but again, remember, and this is an interesting thing about Nick, we look back at last year's Patrick Graham defense and as it kind of came on during the stretch of that season with the Dolphins, and they had no talent at the end of that year. Like, that defense was completely untalented. The Week 17 game when they upset the Patriots, I mean, that's an incredible performance. He talked about, Joe Judge talked about it two days ago. He's like, you look at Patrick's defense for that game, he had, like, just a slew of undrafted guys because but due to injuries at that point it's week 17 NFL attrition that Dolphins defense by the end of the season was just no names running across that field and Graham had one of his best coach I think that's probably Graham's best coaching game without a doubt of the season I mean he beat the Patriots in a game the Patriots were playing to win they weren't there was no locked up uh they they needed to win that based on based on seeding and whatnot in the playoffs for that game and he won that game and so I think he's worked with less, and it's really interesting to me to see this steady drumbeat building. I mean, like I said earlier, Julian Love, great PBU today on Golden Tate on a pass. Again, theory, theme of the day, defensive backs making PBUs, but then you see the steady drumbeat start to build for Montreal Harridge, Hartridge, who's moving up, sorry, Hartridge, who's seen a lot of reps. He had another PBU today, active, playing well, and then this Jaron Williams, the hype's growing, the UDFA out of Albany. I mean, he's seeing meaningful reps too. Like Judge said, if 
these guys play well, they're going to see reps. And there is no position on this roster where reps are more, where first team reps are more up for grabs than the boundary cornerback position. I'm sorry, Corey Ballantyne. I know Nick's a little bit higher on you than I am. I'm still hoping for the best, but if John Williams is out playing you or if Mondra Howard is out playing you, you're going to... That's it. Get these guys on the field. We're talking about a six-round pick in Ballantyne. I loved him, too. I thought there was some upside there. He had a great senior bowl. He's an explosive athlete. I get it, but he's still a six-round pick who really only had meaningful snaps at Washburn and then some in the slot where he was playing out of position in the NFL last year. You, you, for me, a guy like that can easily be replaced, even as soon as camp. Oh, easily, yes, especially if he's being outplayed by someone like Jerron Williams, who no one really saw anything coming. I mean, I think the Browns, did the Browns sign him? After uh, in UDFA, like right after the draft, and then they ended up releasing him out of the University of Albany, and the Giants quickly scooped him up. So you know, obviously the Giants liked him uh, after the draft. They just didn't end up getting him initially. So he's getting these meaningful reps right now, and he seems to be, according to all the beat reporters, falling out. And that's something that you love to hear from an undrafted rookie, especially if Corey Ballantyne continues to get beat, if Askew Henry continues getting beat like he did early, early on in camp as well. But. Uh, Before we go on, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore. So everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Wersland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic by the way. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic. Grown in the U.S. and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover body bomb for targeted relief and sleep aid. And now, through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire, all one word. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire. But only until Labor Day, go right now to theragun.com slash bluewire. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Another interesting key takeaway for me from today's practice, Nick, and this one actually dates back to the practice before it, but Graham Gano 
Second day in a row, he's a perfect six for six field goals. Today, two were from 50 plus. I mean, this is now two days in a row, hasn't missed a kick. I've been reading these practice reports, and again, I've been at camp two, three of the last, or two of the last three off seasons, and I see a lot of missed field goals during camp practices. This is not like every kicker just drains them every day. But Graham Gano, a true professional, who, by the way, Joe Judge, or it was either Joe Judge or Thomas McGee, he said he thinks he's he thinks for a kicker they come into their prime actually around the age where Graham Gano's at. He thinks as you get much older and later into your career, kickers are actually the one position that actually gets a lot better based on factors that I actually don't remember now off the top of my head. I probably should have tried to memorize, but these are like deep, 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 uh, you know, inside kicker type terms that they, that they <laughs> McGee, I think it was McGee or Judge were using. These are deep special teams terms, but my point is is at this point I was already super hyped about this Graham Gano signing I think that they have at worst a top 15 kicker in the NFL but probably a top 10 I mean before Gano's injury he was a top 10 kicker in the NFL I don't see any reason he's now fully healthy and looking great in camp I don't see any reason why he's not going to get back to where he was age is not a factor here it's if anything it's only going to help as the coaches have said so I think the Giants have now upgraded at kicker because Roses gave them the best kicker in the NFL in 2018 and the worst kicker in the NFL 2019. So really, it was tough to say where they were going to go in 2020 with Rose at the kicker. But Gano, a true professional and age veteran, has really only turned in these top 10, top 15 type performances. Really top 10 if you just look at the numbers. He's been top 10 every year of his career over the last few years with Carolina as he's kind of grew into his own. So I'm super hyped about this. I really think it helps to have a great kicker in the NFL. About how many times the Giants, we got, the Giants got into like, the 30-yard line, the 35-yard line closer to the red zone, and then they trotted out Aldrich Rosas last year, and you were kind of a little hesitant to really be excited about the fact that the Giants were going to end up getting three points. I'm really hoping that Graham Gano, and it seems like early on in camp, is that 2018 Carolina Panthers Graham Gano, and if that's the case, that's going to give me such a warm and fuzzy when it comes to at least getting into towards the red zone and possibly not being able to finish if the offense can't. Hopefully you can get those three points chip away. It's not an ideal situation, but it's so much better than wide right and wide left, which is something that we sadly have become accustomed to. But to go back to cornerbacks, I heard one cornerback actually had kind of a rough day, and that's Grant Haley. I heard he was beaten several times by David Sills and Alex Bachman. So that's definitely not good for Haley, especially since what we talk about a lot with Grant Haley is his ability to play the run. But if they're going to use three safety looks... And they're going to use those three safeties who are excellent against the run. I I don't necessarily know if Haley is going to crack this roster if he keeps being vulnerable in coverage. And he was beat by Austin Mack as well. It's just, I don't know. It's it's something that's definitely uh, somewhat concerning. I think he had one PBU I heard about in practice. But he was beat pretty bad by Bachman and Sills who were both having pretty solid camps. Yeah, I'm getting nightmare flashbacks to that first Washington Redskins game where, Redskins game where Trey Quinn, I mean, undrafted unathletic sorry seventh round unathletic Trey Quinn destroyed Grant Haley on two slot verts and obviously luckily Case Keenum I guess luckily even though it probably would have been better if the Giants lost that game for draft purposes (laughs) but but um but Case Keenum completely overthrew Trey Quinn but I mean when Trey Quinn is getting 10 yards of separation against you on a slot vert it's it's a nightmare situation, and Grant Haley, great story, undrafted guy out of Penn State, came in with Barkley, good friends with Barkley, you see them hanging out after practice and all that, but I, I'm struggling to see 
him making this roster. I really am at this point because he's really a liability in coverage at this point in the slot. He cannot play the boundary. And he was, again, he was that tough, alley, you know, slot defender who was important for Betcher's defense. And maybe important, that type of role may have a, you know, importance in Graham's defense. But now you have other guys who can do it. When you throw in a guy like McKinney to the mix who can do it too, it really just limits the type, you know, it just makes it very tough for a guy like Grant Haley to step in there, especially since they're already giving these first team reps to Holmes in the slot. Like, it's tough. It's going to be tough for me to see Haley carving out a role. And also, Drayvon Askew, Henry, today's practice, I saw he actually had two really nice uh, pass breakups against, it was against the, the I want to say the third team, because I think Cooper Rush was the quarterback, but he's still, you know, making plays and not being a total liability, and it seems like Grant Haley, uh, not as much so, so it's definitely not going to be good for him. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. One interesting thing I wanted to bring up to you about today's practice, I think it kind of broaches an interesting discussion, or kind of, uh, that's not the right word, maybe brings up an interesting discussion of where this offense can go and just how to get these guys on the field. So one of the touchdowns in the red zone was uh, Jones pass to Caden Smith. And we obviously know down the stretch last season when Evan Evan Ingram was out with injury, Caden Smith and Daniel Jones showed just an unbelievable quickly quick rapport there. Like they became Smith became an, a weapon in the red zone for Daniel Jones. Obviously capped off and highlighted finally by that you know shootout against the Redskins where Jones hit Smith for the game winning touchdown in overtime. But Smith just has really does a really good job of getting open, finding the soft spot, and his hands are excellent. So this is an excellent receiver. But the question I have, because he's in, the, he's obviously on the field for this play where they score this red zone touchdown, and maybe, you know, he can find his way into the field as a red zone guy. But I'm just curious what you think, how how the Giants are going to be able to get this, like what personnel groupings are going to be most common, what personnel groupings are going to see the field often. Because remember, here's the guys that they have to get on the field. Barkley's a mainstay, right? He'll be on the field for most of the snaps. Uh, you got your five offensive linemen. You got Jones. So that's seven. Now there's four open spots. Ingram, to me, feels like a mainstay of healthy. I mean, maybe they take him off for a few snaps, but then you also have Levine Toilolo, who they're going to want on the field a lot because he's going to set that edge in the run game. They want to be this physical run-first team using a lot of power and gap behind Barkley. I saw a ton of screen passes, a little bit of screen action games today, which we'll get to in a little bit, which excites me. I'm a big fan of the screen game. I think any NFL offense that isn't running a good screen game, especially an NFL offense that has Saquon Barkley as their running back that isn't successful in the screen game, is a wasted offense offense like the fact that the Giants haven't been a good screen team with Barkley for the first two years is just super super detrimental to your overall offense because it's not like you have you know I mean Derek Henry's actually pretty good in the screen game that's a bad example so I give and Ramey, I think Raheem Mostart's actually pretty good I'm trying to think of just a run first back with a lot with not a lot of wiggle straight line guy who's not good in the screen game but the point is Barkley has incredible upside in the screen game the Giants just haven't been able to figure it out but anyway, back to what I was saying, you want to have him on the field for that living total. I mean, now you're talking about two tight ends. Now you got your three receivers. But again, if you're running two tight ends, you don't have two receivers. on. You have three receivers on the field. You have two receivers on the field. So my question for you is this, Nick. How does Caden Smith carve out a role, and, and where do you kind of see that going? It's actually kind of funny, too, because Caden Smith was utilizing the screen game late in the year. The Giants actually, the last two games last year, in the last two games, he had 19 Target. So he was being heavily utilized by Daniel Jones. Now, I don't want the Giants to establish a trend, and I hope Jason Garrett doesn't, but I can see them second and six, second and manageable situations, come out with 12 personnel and use play action with Smith and Ingram. But the thing is, 
defenses are going to pick up on that. If you usually use Toy Lolo in 12 personnel packages and then you end up running the ball, if you have design plays where it's play action with Caden Smith and it's going to be play action every time and you do not block, then defense is going to be like, okay, Caden Smith's in there. It's probably going to be play action. They're not going to be as... They're going to be more uh, equipped to be like, okay, let's drop into coverage. And we're probably expecting a pass on this play, not going to go for the run and bite on that play action. So that's something that you hope doesn't happen. So I think he's just going to be sprinkled in there with Levine Toilolo. I really do. His snap percentage is going to come down, obviously, from last season because... Ingram's healthy so but again Evan Ingram and it sucks and you and I are really crossing our fingers here he has had a proclivity to get injured and if that happens I think Caden Smith could significantly rise and be utilized well in this Jason Garrett offense but he's the second fiddle when it comes to the receiving game right now I don't really know if the Giants I know he did it a little bit in Dallas even though it was Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator where they would run like 13 personnel and something like that then he'll definitely get out there now if you do that you try to overload that line of scrimmage and run outside zone or wide zone off of that with Saquon Barkley with these tight ends who are solid blockers then you will definitely get smith on the field and that will definitely open up play action you can keep say if andrew thomas is really struggling or if matt parrott gets in there and he's really struggling you can keep levine toilolo off the side of that tackle have him block and then have ingram and smith run routes off that play action in the 13 personnel package but it's going to be limited for caden smith but i still enjoy obviously i still enjoy having him having that option especially with somebody like ingram who gets injured so you could spell him as well so that's kind of going to be his role it's not going to be a primary role in this receiving game with all of these weapons having said that nick i do think there is a chance for him to develop a primary type role in the red zone because he might be a better option down there than sterling Shepard or golden tate or you know to some extent even Darius Slayton or Evan Ingram. I mean, this is a guy who, to me, looked like a better red zone player than Evan Ingram last year. I know it's a small, limited sample size, but he does an excellent job of finding soft spots in the red zone. His hands are unbelievable. I mean, he didn't drop any any notable balls I had, and he's bigger. He's, he's a bigger target down there. You want bigger guys working in those tight spaces, I think, in the red zone. And so... I really like Caden Smith from what I've seen, so I'm hoping they find a way to work him in as more than just this 16 to 25% snap share guy. It's just tough to see. They have options in the skill player position. This offense to me is so, so, so much closer than the defense, and I really, if they can just get a quick, quick jump, quick jump in development from Jones and from the offensive line, it could be like a lighter version of what Dallas had in 2016. It could be. It's not going to be as good, obviously. Even in 2016, Dallas' offensive line was loaded with talent. But and and but and and I don't want to take too much of a slight on Dak Prescott because I think he made an incredible leap as a passer in 2019. I was not a big fan of Prescott as a quarterback, independent of the situation around him. And what I mean by that is his offensive linemen and his skill players until 2019 but I think that all the work he's kind of done you know all that hip work I think people underestimate the lower body core work that he's done and what kind of impact it's made on his game but his ball placement took just an incredible leap last year but if you're talking about 2016 Dak Prescott that team that went 14 and 2 or it was either 12 or 4 14 I don't remember how they finished I don't care the team that the Giants beat (laughs) to get into the playoffs that year is the wild card uh, in that late season game when Odell took the slant to the house that team didn't have great didn't have 
the kind of quarterback play they were getting from Prescott last year. Prescott missed so many throws that season. He was way off a lot of the time. I think Jones is actually actually had a better season as a rookie than Prescott had that year. In my personal opinion, independent of the fact that Prescott was playing with the best offensive line in football that year and pretty good skill players and Ezekiel Elliott, even though obviously Jones at Barkley, who was injured. But the point is, offensive line matters more. It trumps everything. And I think if Jones can make slight slight development, but really the offensive line is the thing that takes off this year, I really think this can be a light version of that Cowboys team, a team that just controls the ball, cashes in on red zone opportunities because Jones is pretty solid in the red zone, and just shortens games. And that's what I'm looking forward to, and I really think Smith can play a role in that. We have to hope for, too, especially if the defense has the liability of that second boundary cornerback not being there because, yeah, you have James Bradbury. James Bradbury can be a solid number one for you, but if you're just getting – if you have one weak link in your chain on defense, it's going to get targeted and abused, and Giants fans should know this because they watched Grant Haley last year, and they saw how offensive coordinators were trying to do slot for against the Giants, and the Giants had to adjust by keeping the safety up, which lightened the box, and then they were more susceptible against the run, and it was just an absolute mess. So let's hope that doesn't happen. But talking about former Cowboys – Cam Fleming seems like he's having some solid practices on the right side of the offensive line. So that's definitely something that, like we kind of talked about, man. Who would have thought the New York Giants would have not an embarrassment of riches at offensive line, but just several options that kind of either give you, well, there's a lot of potential there, or you know what? We could do a lot worse, and we have done a lot worse in the last couple seasons. So I'm really glad that we have all these options at tackle, and I wish we had a more solid thing at center, but hopefully Nick Gates ends up working out. Yeah, Nick, I love the steady drum beat that's been building for Cam Fleming over these last few practices. I mean, there's been multiple beat reporters said he's been the best offensive lineman on the field, which is excellent to hear because remember, this is a pretty talented group now. Now you got Kevin Zeitler, Andrew Thomas, Nick Gates, who I even like, uh, you know, and Will Hernandez, who we just had an ex-scout, a former NFL scout on the podcast tell us is one of the blue chip players on this roster. And yet Cam Fleming's the one standing out the most. And Fleming's still a young guy in his career, still could be coming into his own, still could have the best years ahead of him, and a talented guy who the Cowboys prioritized after he started a lot of games on that Patriots offense, but the Patriots let every free agent hit the market. That's how they feel, especially offensive line free agents. They thought, you know, to an extent, for a while, with with Dante Starnecki up there, the best offensive line coach in the game, it worked. They just shuffled down new guys, didn't pay their guys, and they got great progress and great production. But this is a guy who also had meaningful and excellent snaps with the Cowboys. He had his flashes with Dallas. He had games where he looked like an all-pro, and, and he had games where he really looked like he shouldn't be on the field at all. That's a consistency issue, and if he can clear that up, the talent's obviously there. And Fleming, to me, is obviously, in my opinion at least, an upside play at tackle. He's clearly an upside play. Someone like that, who has the talent but just consistency's been the issue, and is getting the opportunity to continue to work and develop within the same blocking scheme because remember he comes over from Dallas where they take Garrett and they take Colombo and they don't ask him to learn something completely new they bring him into something he's already been developing on and trying to get better at and progress as an offensive lineman and they let him stay within that and continue to get better so you know is the fact that he's standing out as the best offensive lineman so far a product the fact that he's the only offensive lineman who doesn't have to think every play because he knows the system a lot better than literally anyone on the Giants sure it's possible but the other side of it is that he's a player who's coming into his own from a consistency standpoint and can give the Giants a really good year it's also one of those things too like you said I mean it could be a mental thing but you still need to hold up at the point of attack and you're going up against the top athletes at their positions in the world and also 
Mark Colombo, man. I mean, he's been with Mark Colombo for another year, but another person, that another drum that's being beaten is Will Hernandez, too. A lot of people are saying that he looks crisper and finer in practice, really taking the coaching of Mark Colombo. So, I mean, I really hope that he fixes those inconsistencies from last year. But like you and I have kind of talked about on the podcast, I do think it was also a byproduct of playing next to Nate Solder, who definitely had a down year, and John Jalapio, who seems like a great guy, just it did not seem like he should have been a starting center in the NFL. And he probably would be the starting center right now if he did not suffer that injury too. So that's something to keep in mind. But I really like the fact that Will Hernandez is also seems like according to Art Stapleton having a really good camp so far. But speaking of the defensive line, Dan, the defensive line, you got Dexter Lawrence kind of popping up, knocking Saquon Barkley down on the uh, in practice, standing over top of him in, in a nice little lighthearted manner. It's great to see the uh, swag of the second-year player who I honestly think can really just have a second-year breakout, even though I thought he was underrated in his first year and people weren't talking about him as much as they probably should have been, at least around the league. I think Giant fans kind of caught on to how good he actually is. Yeah, I love that you bring up Dexter Lawrence. As anyone who's listening to the podcast know, there's a few guys that on this roster that I've just go to bat for all the time Darnay Holmes you've obviously learned is one of them and Dexter Lawrence I'm sure you've learned over the course of this podcast is one of them because he's the guy who stood out to me on all 22 the most when I grinded this film when I watched this film and I know that Nick's boy on this line is Dalvin Tomlinson and I got all the love for Dalvin Tomlinson as well was the more consistent player but to me the reason I love Dexter so much is because the upside is there. This is a guy who was literally the best defensive lineman on an insanely talented Clemson defensive line as a true freshman there. And did he play hurt his final year before he got drafted? Sure. Is he healthy now? Yes. And at that body type, at six foot five, moving that way that he does laterally at 325 pounds, with that arm length, by the way, which came into play in this practice. He batted two balls at the line of scrimmage today that stopped drives from continuing. When you're six foot five with arms that long and you can move like that at 324 pounds, that to me is why I'm most excited about him over more than anyone on this defensive line, including, I'm sorry, Leonard Williams, who, in my opinion, has less excitement for me or draws less excitement for me just because he's been in the league longer and has had the opportunity to grow and has had way more reps and, in my opinion, should be for a little bit further along than someone like Dexter Lawrence, who has few reps, is starting to come into his own as just an NFL player from an experience standpoint, but yet still has that build, that athleticism, that lateral agility and explosiveness. I love Dexter Lawrence. I love the pick. I know it got a lot of flack because he's an interior defensive lineman, but this guy to me can be more than that. He can be someone on the inside. I know he's going at times compared to a Fletcher Cox light, or at least his upside might be a Fletcher Cox light. No one should be compared to Fletcher Cox, who's that damn good, but I do see little flashes of that, and I love to see him standing out in practice. Sniffed out his Barkley screen that Nick talked about, and that a two-key batted pass at the line of scrimmage. And the second year, new defense too, so let's see how he can be utilized with Patrick. And we got to work with the Clemson guy last year in Christian Wilkins, which is pretty fun. And also, Austin Mack. Now, he's not really getting the receptions, but he's getting wide open, according to a lot of the beat reporters, but there have been a few overthrows by some of the backup quarterbacks, and you love seeing this, and you and I kind of, we, we, we beat the drum on Austin Mack, as did a lot of people who kind of cover this team. Austin Mack was uh, somebody who didn't live up to his pedigree at Ohio State, but had all the talent, just played through a lot of injuries. It seems like he's getting open early and often down there at Giants camp, which is going to be great if he can continue to do that for the odds of him making this roster. So I, I like this, uh, I like what I'm hearing about Austin Mack, even though it's not turning into receptions. 
Yeah, I mean, one of the key standout plays when Max created, uh, Mac created like just multiple yard separation, but McCoy kind of overthrew him and overshot him. Again, Haley was in coverage on that one. It's becoming a trend. Sucks to say, but it's the truth. But again, Mac is someone who's interesting because, like Nick said, and and as we talked about, you know, earlier on our podcast when we kind of reviewed these undrafted free agents, he's somebody who, in any other draft class, would have probably been drafted in the sixth or seventh round. But in this one, a historic wide receiver class that was also historic for the fact that it was insanely deep, he goes undrafted. Maybe the Giants find something there. Um, something else I found interesting about today's practice that I thought stood out to me at least was that Wayne Gallman was getting some buzz and Wayne Gallman is another guy another one of my guys I go to bat for no one put takes into consideration that he was playing hurt last year and still against the Redskins when Barkley was out in that first game he looked like the old Wayne Gallman to me the guy who I liked about who I liked when I evaluated his film at Clemson who I liked in his rookie season and somebody who I think just gets tough yards has pretty solid lateral agility can catch passes in the screen game this is an overall solid back like for me I prefer Wayne Gallman on the field Deion Lewis I really do even though Lewis had a solid day I just think there's more upside with Gallman when it comes to creating missed tackles and when it comes to yards after contact yeah Wayne Gallman I feel like never really gets the love that he deserves the thing about Lewis that we like is we talk about his pass protection I still feel like he has excellent vision but I don't want to knock Wayne Gallman either because every time he's gotten an opportunity it's been it's been adequate to solid I would say and that's behind kind of a really really subpar offensive line but then we also have Javon Leak too flashing in practice Javon Leak I mean according to Big Blue View he had at least three electrifying explosive type of plays and now I don't know exactly if it came with the first team or in what kind of uh, context it happened, but one of them was a handoff up the middle and he found the cutback lane, something that he did regularly at uh, Maryland last year. So, I mean, that's something that's going to really excite. He could be the kick returner for this team. He could be somebody who can be used maybe to spell Barkley after long runs if they want somebody who's going to be explosive and has that home run hitting ability because it seems all like all of that is in his arm. Yeah, and a couple other notes just to kind of wrap up practice today. Um, day off. For for McKinney, sorry about that, Corey Coleman and Ryan Connolly. Interesting because Judge just said they had been – the reason Judge said he gave them a day off was because they had, quote, been carrying a heavy load. Interesting. Interesting to me. He's really putting these guys through the ringer. That, to me, shows that he sees a role for them on his roster. Coleman, to me – you know how hyped I am about Corey Coleman. I I just – this is a guy who, if you listen to his interview today with the Giants – sounded came off unbelievably mature sounding go read or listen to his interview you can find a transcript or just watch the video on giants.com this is someone who earlier in his career literally didn't make it because of his immaturity seems like he's a guy who worked his butt off because he he's literally playing practicing like he hadn't been injured at all and still to me has that same talent and he's still young that he had when he was drafted in the top 10. This is a guy who's not drafted in the top 10 just because he ran a 4-3. This is a guy who was drafted in the top 10 because he showed an unbelievable, an unbelievable ability to create separation, the most important trait for a wide receiver, creating separation. Reminded me in a, in a way, and again, I was very high on him coming out, so keep that in mind. Reminded me in a way of Antonio Brown, just that ability to create separation from the cornerback so I'm excited there and obviously I'm excited about the fact that Ryan Connolly is able to just kind of have carry this heavy workload this early into his comeback from the ACL and then of course McKinney throw him right into the fire because he's already one of the most talented players on this defense of course man another note on Andrew Thomas and I'm sure that we expected a lot of this he's playing the left and the right side taking snaps from both sides he says I can do I'll do whatever coach Joe Judge wants me to do he's training us to be versatile and he wants us just to form the best offensive line unit and I wonder if 
I, I it, it kind of like sparks like something in my mind. What if it is like Cam Fleming ending up starting at left tackle? Would that be like the most ridiculous thing to kind of materialize out of camp? I don't think it will. I think it should be Andrew Thomas. I think he's going to be the long term left tackle. But with all the positive buzz with him knowing the system, do you think that's something that could be at least somewhat plausible? To me, it's very plausible. I know Giants fans are going to hate to hear this. They hated earlier in the offseason when I suggested potentially starting Solder at left tackle and Thomas at right tackle. The idea is get Thomas over at left tackle, make sure he starts to get those reps there early, blah, blah, blah. I don't, that's not my idea. My idea is give Daniel Jones the best chance to develop and succeed. If the best chance for Jones to develop and succeed, the best chance for Jones to develop is to give him a chance to succeed early. That's obvious. That's a fact. Now, if the best chance for him to succeed early is by having Cam Fleming at left tackle early in the season versus Andrew Thomas, who again, remember, fourth overall pick but every offensive tackle struggles in their transition to the nfl the pass sets that you're asked to do at the collegiate level are not the same on a consistent basis that you're going to be asked to do at the nfl level especially we're expecting a pretty vertical offense here i don't know nick for me it's highly plausible because i want jones to have the best chance to develop and i if fleming is giving providing better pass protection early on than thomas i'm fine with thomas taking his lumps on the right side on Jones, not you know, on the non-blind side for Jones, with potential safety help from Levine Toilolo or Caden Smith or even Evan Ingram chipping. And by the way, Evan Ingram is put on extra weight, and I've already read that he's looking, he's getting more pushback in the run blocking game. That's something good to hear. Um, obviously, effort's never been the issue there; just size, just frame. And again, if he can get more help on the on the right side, Andrew Thomas, I'm fine with it because I want Jones to have the best chance to succeed. I'm not into this whole like put a guy there because he's going to be the guy there for the future. Give Jones the best chance to succeed. That's it. It's an interesting take, everybody. I do like that. One more wide receiver I want to give a little bit of kudos to because it seems like his name is popping up a lot. That's CJ Board. CJ Board seems like he's coming out with some big play ability, and it's a name to monitor throughout camp. Yeah, Board, Leak, Sills. These are the guys making names for themselves early on on the back end of this roster. One more quick thing I wanted to touch on before we sign off today, Nick, unless you had something else you want to dive into, but I think we kind of covered most of what we talked about before the podcast as we were breaking things down, is just a comment Joe Judge made on Daniel Jones because, again, this is not a head coach who's throwing out names a lot, praising a lot of people, yada, 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 but he said, uh, and yada, yada, yada for my Seinfeld fans, by the way. I just found out recently that Nick Filato is a newcomer to the Seinfeld line of humor. And that, not newcomer, he's burning through season. I think he's on season six. But the fact of the matter is he's only seen like two total episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. So anyone who has only seen two episodes of Curb, and it doesn't matter how many seasons of Seinfeld, I consider them still new to the Seinfeld line of humor and the Seinfeld because, and, and, and that's going to change. Nick is going to, I'm going to m- make sure Nick watches Curb Your Enthusiasm fully through because it is my favorite comedy of all time. Number one on my list. So Dan, Dan's got a really good taste of comedy too. Dan, Dan has showed me some incredible shows. Has turned me on to some excellent shows. Nathan for you. If you guys have never watched it, just go to Hulu and check it out. That's all I'm going to leave it at. If you're into weird, strange kind of situations and satire, please go check that show out yeah nathan for you was a big hit for me i I told nick to start watching and i said listen it's a hit or miss show when i suggest this show to people people either love it or they hate it um but 
He loved it, so I was happy about that because Nathan for you is, is obviously a top five, top ten show for me. One of one of the most brilliant comedies I think I've ever seen. Actually, to be honest, just his ideas are insane. But again, back to this yada 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 for most of it with Joe Judge, but not today when he was talking about a lot of players. He had a lot of good things to say about Darnay Holmes and David Sills, and about Daniel Jones. He said, "You can't see this stuff on the film, but the way but the way he is in the huddle. I watched the huddle. I got close to get a good feel, and I was very pleased. He had great command, and he used his checks really." well and that's something great to hear because again remember new system for jones new terminology completely different from system only a second year quarterback that didn't start a full season last year you love to hear these things these are the intangibles that drew the giants to jones during the pre-draft process in their minds and i agree with them on this it's very important for the quarterback to not only have a great mental game when it comes to processing in the passing game but uh, post and pre-snap but also to be this kind of leader who has great command of the huddle, someone that the teammates can rally around. It also doesn't seem like Judge is a coach who's just going to heap praise, like Pete Carroll, yeah. who does it for every single one of his players. He seems like he kind of has to earn it, which is definitely something that's going to give uh, – every time you hear him heap praise on somebody, you're going to actually think, well, actually, he must be doing something right in practice. And he's also critical of these players too. He says, hey, there's a couple things I want to fix, and we're going to fix them. So I kind of like how he really sticks to the fundamentals and that detail-orientated kind of mindset. I think it really could be conducive to success on the football field. And I got one final light note I wanted to bring up, Nick, and just throw it throw it around here because obviously I'm not taking too much away from this. It's nothing crazy or anything, but I did like to see that video the Giants put out on their Twitter of before practice, Saquon Barkley literally going through every single teammate that he has and dapping them up, saying, let's have a great day today. You have to understand something about Barkley and, and the decision to re-sign him, which is ultimately going to come. The Giants are going to make him the highest paid running back in NFL history. It's a guarantee, in my opinion. When you sign Barkley, when you have a Barkley type, you also have a face of the franchise. And now Jones will also be that. But you also have somebody who leads by example. He's the hardest worker on and off the field for this team. He also leads by his words and just by his actions. This is never a guy who's going to go on ESPN in week three of a season and question his quarterback play or question signing his long-term contract and where he wants to be. I know maybe I would have liked it better in LA. I don't know. This is not a guy who's going to throw his hands up when the when the pass doesn't come his way or pout on the sideline and bring that negative energy or have specific different things going on in the locker room. Oh, wait, am I talking... Uh, maybe I, uh, I hope I didn't go there too too in depth there. I mean, maybe I gave you guys flashbacks to somebody else, but this is a guy who you want to lead your franchise and be the face of your franchise because of all those things. It's not about him. He's the most talented running back in the NFL by far. He has godlike talent and athletic abilities. That's he was touched by the hand of God, according to Dave Gettleman. I mean, he says that it's a joke, but you look at the combine numbers and you compare him to what you also see on tape, and this is literally a godlike athlete. This is a god this is this guy was touched by the hand of God from an athletic standpoint, but he doesn't let that shit doesn't let that crap get to his head. Rookie of the year, broke records, you know, was matched Eric Dickerson, the only rookie to get two thousand yards. Had there was I once did an article for twenty four seven, the eleven crazy records Saquon Barkley broke during his rookie season, but he didn't let any of that get to his head. And that's a big thing to me. He's a different type of star. And I think these are the type of stars that you ultimately want and the guys that ultimately are unquestionably, overwhelmingly on the championship rosters. No offense to the Antonio Browns of the world who have zero, you know, who have zero wins, zero Super Bowl wins, but these are the kind of the guys that I think are ultimately what you want on the roster. He's a mixture of just incredible athletic ability, a humble mentality, and just... 
a team first kind of player he's definitely somebody that you want in your locker room now i mean i'm i'm glad that he that he's on the new york giants and i think you're right i think the giants are going to make him the highest paid player at the running back position i think that's going to be a foregone conclusion i don't see him donning another jersey i think he's going to be a giant for life that's the kind of player and that's the kind of guy you want to lead your franchise somebody who is going to be put the team first work hard and set the example for others to emulate so i do like that point my friend yeah, Nick, and when we eventually, you know, as we ultimately always will do as as sports analysts or as you guys will do as sports fans, go back and reminisce or not reminisce, but, you know, try to evaluate past decisions. I, I'm sure I will never be on board with the decision to draft Saquon Barkley number two. I mean, you just look at what transpired with the Colts trading from six to three with the Jets. The Giants literally could have had the same deal that the Jet that the that the Colts got with the Jets going from uh, six to two. They probably would have got even more than what the Jets got. And if they had then just taken Quinton Nelson, I mean, for me, straight up, I would rather have Quinton Nelson than Saquon Barkley. I'll be honest with you, Nick. I just don't value the running back position quite like I value the guard position or anything on the offense line, especially not just from an impact on wins and losses but also from a longevity standpoint and then you obviously throw in the three second round picks that the that the Colts got in that trade it's it's just an absolute no-brainer but what makes it lighten the blow a little bit for me is that they have somebody like this who's going to potentially be that you know that linchpin guy in a championship season when you have these championship seasons look back at both those rosters the Giants had when they won those weren't the greatest rosters 07s was obviously a little better than 11s but from an overall roster standpoint but those weren't the greatest rosters what they had was a bunch of guys rallying together rallying around each other and a coach that they believed in at the time who really brought the best out of them and brought this family feel this push for each other feel and a lot of great people in that locker room bringing out the best in a lot of people and no one on those rosters was me first the quarterback was the absolute antithesis of a me first player which made a big deal by the way i mean you have a guy like aaron Rodgers who you know kind of straddles the line of me first you've seen now recent teammates calling him out Jermichael finley greg uh greg jennings i believe too and you see these guys straddle the line and a guy like Rodgers, all the town in the world won super bowl i mean when you win these Super Bowls, it's a team first thing. Everybody has to rally around that mentality. And I think a guy like Barkley can really be the linchpin. I'm not saying they're ready for a championship right now. What I'm saying is he's a guy that kind of can hopefully lighten the blow of me not wanting to pay a running back. I, I understand where you're coming from, Dan. And it is, I, I had the same feelings in that draft, in that 2018 draft. I didn't want to take Saquon Barkley, and I'll stand by that, and I still stand by that. But like you said, I mean, you have this great kid now. I mean, there's no there's no reason to sit there and look back and be like, oh, why did we do that when you have this excellent, valuable piece? And I know the Giants are going to end up paying this kid, like I said before. So, you know, let's strap in, and hopefully this team can actually put something together and make some Super Bowl runs. But I think we're a little bit away from that, but I do like the direction of the franchise at the moment. And I want to be clear here. Let's not do total revisionist history. I wanted the Giants to take a quarterback in that draft. My number one, slightly, if you look back, it's not, everybody likes to say it was my easy one, but my number one was, was Josh Rosen, without a doubt. And I've talked to, you know, we had Mark Schofield on who was quarterback guru but i hope you guys love that podcast but he was also had rosen as number one plenty of people i respect in this industry also saw what i saw in rosen but i did have darnold and rosen in that clear tier and then jackson next i love lamar in that class though i knew the giants would never go that route but i did want rosen or darnold and obviously that would have been kind of looking back on it revision history not a great move either like if you look at it now they probably would have ended up with rosen or darnold and then josh Josh allen Allen. and josh allen is their number one pass rusher to me, it can be debated. 
what's better right now, Daniel Jones and Barkley or Josh Allen and and Darnold. Obviously, you know, if they'd went Rosen, it looks like it would have been a mistake. Though, as Mark Schofield said, he'd still love to see Rosen get a chance on something half decent. I mean, Rosen was always going to be a, a, a pocket rhythm passer. He was never going to be a guy who was going to be making plays off script with bad offensive lines. But the point is, looking back, it's not like the most devastating decision right now, I don't think, for this franchise. And I still think they can move forward in a good direction if Jones is the guy. But again, it's just, you know, when you look back on these types of decisions, Barkley being who he is helps lighten the blow, I think, of taking a running back so high. Absolutely. All right, folks. That's all we have for today. Jam-packed episode, breaking down this full scrimmage. Um, hopefully, for, for those of you, you just get, got that random reference from Nick, that absolutely reference. If not, <laughs> hit us up on Twitter. We'll be sure to discuss it with you. We'll talk to you guys very soon. We're going to have more of these big blue banter training camp recaps as we move forward and as they develop. Um, in the meantime, follow us on Instagram, please, at NYBigBlueBanter. Please also follow us individually on Twitter if you haven't. But in general, make sure you do us a favor and download each podcast. Like, rate, and review us, and subscribe to us on iTunes. That's the way we build the show. That's the way we can you know, do well on our own from this podcast, uh, which obviously we have some interest in doing as well. So thank you to all of you loyal listeners who have helped us build this to this point. And anyone wants to help us grow, you know how you can do it. So thanks a lot. And we'll talk to you soon. Sports are coming back. And so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball back in action. And there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champion Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Pandemic. Visit BetOnline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news remember to use promo code blue wire all one word to receive your new welcome bonus that's promo code blue wire bet online you're online wagering experts